How's it going, everyone? Joe Gardner here, welcoming you to edition number 41 of Joe vs. the World. My guest today has been on about 80 times to talk Ring of Honor. He was at both shows this past weekend. He's here to talk about them. It's Matt Foy. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing all right. A little bit tired, but other than that, I'm doing pretty good. All right. Uh, it's worth noting we were going to have uh, Rob Naylor on to discuss these shows. As he was planning to be at both of the ROH shows and also night three of the Jakarta World Grand uh, Trios uh, tournament, actually. But he was in a car accident and missed all three shows. Yeah, uh, yes, uh, best wishes to a speedy recovery for uh, Mr. Naylor. I was in a, a similar situation last uh, last June where I was in an accident before an ROH show, so that can be frustrating, but uh, hopefully he's uh, he's doing all right. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I talked to him. He uh, appears to be doing well. We'll have him on very soon in the next couple of weeks to discuss uh, discuss all this, but uh, we appreciate you stepping in. We, we have you planned for a special project in March, but you were kind enough to step up to the plate and uh, pinch hit, so to speak. Yep, a, a special surprise project that I think uh, everyone will be interested in listening to. Everyone will love, but uh, we'll save that for March. But. Yep. All right, basic question to start. How was the weekend in summary? Uh, it was uh, quite the weekend. It was uh, two huge shows uh, to probably the biggest uh, back-to-back shows since uh, since last year's uh, WrestleMania weekend. Mm. And, um, yeah, you know, two hot crowds, two big crowds, uh, you know, lots of good wrestling, lots of big... Uh, Big happenings. Uh, thumbs up for the whole weekend. All right. Well, these shows kicked off the the fifth year festival. Also, the uh, beginning of the end for Samoa Joe and ROH. He's been pulled off by TNA uh, after the England shows in early March. What did you think when you heard he was leaving the company? Uh, it's like I I, I want to say I was uh, I kind of half expected it, but then at the same time I. Uh, I was thinking a little bit before that that he had he was booked you know before them they made the announcement you saw that he was booking a lot of big matches uh, for Ring of Honor in a very short period of time which um, which hadn't really been the case in the past year plus so I thought that you know he might have been almost recommitting himself to Ring of Honor just because of uh, I don't know maybe he was uh, you know I, I wouldn't even I don't want to you know put words into his mouth I wouldn't even guess the reasons but. You know, maybe something to do with uh, the deal going on with Japan, because I think, despite uh, despite I guess him not really being able to break in there, I think he would do really well as a regular in a place like Noah. You know, and that they seem maybe to have a little bit more stability than TNA does right now. So I was thinking that, but uh, and then then the other possibility was that they were just getting what they could out of him because he was about to leave, and that appears to be the case. Hmm. I don't, I don't think his leaving is good, but it's it's not disastrous. I mean, if this had happened, um, maybe maybe not last year, maybe a, a few years back, this would have been very very bad for Ring of Honor. But he's been downgraded in the last year, and if, if anything positive can come of this, it kind of forces Ring of Honor to continually create new stars and main eventers. Because I mean, they can't coast on who's there now because guys keep leaving, whether it's CM Punk, Spanky, Jamie Noble, or Samoa Joe. Right, I think I think any wrestling company needs that. They need to be forced to shake things up because you know it's very easy to go with a pat hand for a long time if you're you know unless things are crumbling around you, which they're certainly not for Ring of Honor and mm. they haven't been at any point. But um, as far as Joe, I think they they were very smart about booking him last year in that you know they definitely were able to get some use out of him, get some big matches, get some you know big performances in the CVW matches get that little feud with Brian Danielson that maybe wasn't all that it could have been, but, you know, obviously there was a method behind that, too. And, um, you know, like, so so he was being used, but he 
was far from the focal point of the company, and they uh, they were able to build around guys who weren't in danger of being pulled by TNA, which is a, a good thing. And I and I you know I think that like what you said, it forces him to shake things up a little bit. And I think that even you know even if he hadn't been forced to leave, I almost would have at some point suggested that they kind of take a few months off of uh, Joe and maybe have him come back with a renewed sense of purpose. But you know I think you know I think there's a definitely a, a silver lining hmm. in, in all this. I just hope TNA gives him a raise for not having or being on these, these Ring of Honor shows, or at least booking him in enough places where he's not losing income. It seems kind of unfair to just say, well, you're not working in this very popular independent company anymore that gives you a better payday than any other indie. Yeah, and uh, I imagine if he's taking the uh, NWA title next month that he's going to pretty much exclusively be in main events for a little while, which I don't know how TNA's contracts work, but you know that must have some impact on uh, on how much he gets paid. Mm. Well, the nice thing for Ring of Honor is that the, with the audience they have, they can import guys from Japan and kind of create instant stars like they, they've done with Morishima. I mean, you, if this was TNA, you could just bring this guy in and, and the audience would recognize him like they do in Ring of Honor. But bringing in people from Japan causes its own problems, which we'll get into in a bit. But they do have that outlet where you can bring in a Kenta, have them be a, a semi-regular and be near the top of the card. Right, exactly. And at the very least, it can provide kind of a, um, you know, a bridge like from one, you know, homegrown Ring of Honor star to another, and then in the meantime they have a guy with instant star power and instant credibility who they can use for a little while, but you know maybe not put too much stock into, you know, just in case they get burned in the end. Mm-hmm. All right, let's jump to uh, Joe and Morishima from uh, last Friday. Something that's been in the works since uh, last September. It, it seemed a bit rushed in execution, obviously due to Joe's departure. How was the match, and were you surprised at the outcome? You know, I I was surprised at the outcome and wasn't at the same time. For anybody who doesn't know, uh, Joe beat Morishima clean in the middle uh, with the choke. Uh, his arm dropped three times, so the ref stopped the match. Um, it's, I think as the match was going on, I was pretty sure that Joe was going to win. Beforehand, I could have gone either way. Um you know they could they could do something with it. Uh, you know I'm thinking maybe the uh, the method behind that is that um, is that maybe they want Joe to only lose one time in his farewell tour and to make that one loss very special for someone like Nigel. I, I don't think it would be Davy Richards with someone like Nigel. Mm-hmm. Or they could build up that confrontation for the tag team match uh, in Chicago on Saturday and have Morishima get the pin on Joe there. But as far as the uh, the match itself, uh, it was uh, it was great. Uh, I, I thought one of the big the big stories about the show on Saturday was was just Joe's performance. He seemed more energetic, more uh, enthusiastic, happier to be there. You know, just in, like he's you know just looked more fired up than I've seen him in months. This was, I'd say, his best singles match since um, since probably the AJ Styles match on the TNA pay per view in December of 2005. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely, and it, um, and I would say, you know, he just, you know, he just seemed like the crowd was just, you know, in love with him, and he seemed genuinely moved by everything after the match. He, uh, he cried. He gave before the match, he gave a uh, a great little uh, speech thanking everybody, you know, building up Ring of Honor, thanking the crowd, and everyone was just going nuts. I'd say during that speech, the ROH chant that he led on was maybe the loudest one that I've heard. And, uh, you know, Morishima came in, um, he actually started off the show, uh, Pele Primo came out 
and kind of made an open challenge that he wanted to crowd surf throughout the Manhattan Center. And uh, Morishima came out immediately, had uh, you know huge uh, huge reaction, just totally crushed uh, Primo, uh, got got the pin, and um, you know the the way they the way they got into the the Joe match later on was uh, was different than they normally do it for the for the big matches. They didn't have the big entrances with the stare down and the streamers and stuff. They actually just jumped right into it after the uh, Briscoes versus Nigel McGuinness and Cole Cabana match. Uh, Joe came out to confront Nigel. And then Morishima came out, and suddenly they were face to face in the ring, and they just started the match to just the most enormous heat. And then um, I'd say a good 60% of the crowd seemed to know who Morishima was and appreciate, or at least you know, appreciate that he was important. But I'd say he we did a really smart thing in getting the uh, the other 40 or so percent um, to understand that he, you know, what he was all about when he, uh, you know, very early in the match did his little. Uh, handspring splash in the corner on Joe and then that got a kind of an oh from everybody. And you know, and you know, everybody realized that this it was on and they they tore it up. They you know, they did you know, all their big spots, super stiff, had the uh longest and loudest delay lay chant I've ever heard. Um you know, Morishima did a you know, drop kick off the top rope, did his uh little butt rolling butt thing onto Joe. Uh, uh they were uh Morishima was sitting on the top rope at one point and Joe was standing on the second rope and Joe like jumped up and did a an enziguri that was really cool uh, I don't know if I mentioned Morishima because he had the muscle buster um, Morishima hit a bunch of backdrop drivers onto Joe that Joe kicked out of um, it was actually funny when uh, Joe hit the muscle buster the crowd was counting along with the pin one two three but they were out of sync like they were ahead of the referee's count so they, they counted one and the referee hit them at one and they counted two the referee hit them at two and they counted three and everyone thought the match was over and then the referee was like counted like you know did the near fall and Morishima hit out and did the two two and everyone thought that it was three count the ref screwed up but it definitely wasn't I was watching I'd Oops. never seen that before but uh, yeah this was a uh, this is a must see match I would say uh, you know, I'll I'll even give a star rating to it. I'll say you know, good four and a half stars. Oh, so kind of an early match of the year, even though we're not even into March. Yeah, I would I would say so. All right. Okay, sounds good. Let's. Uh, the other big news: we had the tag title match between Matt Seidel, Christopher Daniels, against the former champs Austin Aries and Roderick Strong. Noteworthy for a couple of reasons. The first being uh, Austin Aries nearly broke his neck. Is this true? Uh, yep, <laughs> absolutely. Oh. Um, well, uh, first let me say, uh, this match, uh, had a lot of things working against it because, uh, they went on right after a, um, right after a, a match between Brent Albright and BJ Whitmer where the gimmick was that the, uh, that tables were legal. And if you want, I can, uh, save, save my little rant about that match for later. I can just get into it now. But the, uh, the, the, the point is that it, uh, it wore out the crowd and they, and it took a long time to clean up the ring. And so the crowd was as dead as they were for the entire show. Um, yeah, I mean, as dead, you know, as dead, deader than at any other point in the show for like the first uh, half of that match, the tag team title match. And then right as things were starting to get going and they were starting to go into all their big high spots, uh, Aries uh, went up for a um, for a springboard and moonsault off the second rope. And I guess I don't know if the ropes were loose or wet because uh, during intermission I saw them tightening the ropes and uh, wiping them down. But uh, Aries, I guess, hurt his ankle, and he fell backwards, like at a really bad angle on top of his head. And you know, he's you know, he definitely looked like he he severely hurt his ankle, or at least sprained it, or something. 
but he's lucky that it wasn't a lot worse than that. But uh, he really couldn't do much for the rest of the match. He tried his hardest. You know, he was up still limping around trying to do stuff, but I think it became clear pretty soon after that uh, that he really couldn't do much, and the match sort of, uh, I wouldn't say fell, fell apart, but uh, close to it after that. So uh just didn't up, end up being that you know that good of a match or as good as uh, their uh, their match in Chicago in uh, in August. Mm. But um, you know, valiant effort. Aries got a um, big ovation after the match and uh, um, an Aries chant, and uh, Daniels and Seidel retained, obviously. And um, and uh, the Aries chant was perfect because it led right into uh, the uh, next angle, which uh, I don't know if you want me to talk about or you want to. I'll just briefly mention. Uh... Davey Andrews came out, helped Roderick beat down Austin Aries. And, Davey and Richards. Davey Richards. Who did I say? Davey, <laughs> Davey Andrews. Andrews. Who is missing? This is not uh, Davey Richards, let's say. Yes. And they formed the, wait for it, the No Remorse Corps, which uh, I don't know what the opposite of rolling off the tongue is, but that is probably it. So uh, <laughs> tell us about this. Uh, well, like I said, they were ch- the crowd was chanting Aries, 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 and, uh, and Richards kind of strolled out looking cocky and you know, I didn't really know where it was going. This was this was definitely a genuine surprise angle, even though I, you know, expected Roderick and Aries to break up at some point. But basically, Richards got in the ring, uh, confronted uh, Aries, and then suddenly from behind, um, Roderick hit the uh, hit the uh, half Nelson backbreaker onto Aries, and got on the mic and um, and basically said he was tired of being held back, and that uh, and he introduced uh, Aries to the No Remorse Corps that I guess he would be the leader of. Hmm. And uh, Richards was the first, uh, the first other member of that uh, of that group, and they kind of both walked off to the back after that. Um, hmm. um, and you know, instead, I was surprised that instead of uh, instead of Aries kind of storming off after them, he got up and just casually got on the mic and was like, "Well, Roderick, uh, if you uh, you know if you're uh, if you're going to turn on me, then you know blah 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 blah." <laughs> and and, uh, and Jack Evans came out. And I, I thought I almost thought that uh, Evans was going to uh, turn heel because he was kind of acting really funny. He was trying to uh, break the two guys up. Mm-hmm. Like he almost looked like he was he was setting up for a turn on Aries. But I guess he was just uh, that was just how he was generally uh, his character was generally supposed to act, which is he didn't want the, his two friends to uh, to feud with each other, which uh, is odd because then he uh, his uh, his solution to all that, which we'll get into when we talk about the Philadelphia show, was kind of not conducive to that line of thinking but yeah that's how that angle went and that was a uh, yeah that was a, a real surprise angle and I think that's a it's a, it's a really cool idea to really sh- to shake things up mm. alright why don't you rant and or rave about the tables are legal match okay uh, well maybe rant and rave is too strong I'll uh, premise it by saying this uh, this match got over really well live mm-hmm. there were a lot of people there who thought it was the best match of the night B.J. Whitmer and Brent Albright are both very tough guys. They're very brave. They put in a lot of effort into this match, and they got the crowd going. That said, this is pretty much the exact kind of match I don't like. I mean, I mean as well as it was executed, I guess, for what they did, I just this is not my kind of match. Um, basically, it was kind of that old ECW style uh, set up a big spot, you know, take, take five minutes in between to set it up, then hit the big spot, the crowd goes nuts, then take another five minutes to set up the next big spot, and, you know, the next bigger spot, and the crowd goes nuts, and they're all, you know, dangerous spots. And, um, you know, they had to put up with broken tables that they had to reset up over and over again. They broke up 50 tables, and it was just pretty much a collection of, like, 
can you top this spots with with nothing in between, which, you know, made it kind of hard, like I said, very hard for the tag team title match to get people going because they just saw so much spectacular stuff with very little rhyme or reason. Mm. Um, you know, they did a, a powerbomb, Albright did a powerbomb, well, actually, to, to, to just to start the match, Whitmer was posing on the uh, on the second rope, and Albright came and pushed him uh, outside of the ring through a table on the floor. That was the very first spot of the match. <laughs> Um, and uh, later on, uh, Albright uh, powerbomb Whitmer over the top rope through two tables. Um, the, the end came after Albright, for seemingly 25 minutes, was trying to set up his spot. The tables kept breaking. He basically, he put a table uh, over the top rope, a la the uh, Chris Benoit versus Kevin Sullivan uh, Falls Count Anywhere match from sure. the Great American Bash 96. Um, then he, set up, he tried to set up two tables in the middle of the ring. He set up one, and then he, he went through about two or three, to get the second one. They kept breaking in. At one point, this was probably the highlight of the match. He uh, was frustrated with the table, so he just smashed the crap out of it to a huge pop from the crowd. But he finally got that set up, and uh, Whitmer ended up uh, giving him an exploder off the uh, top rope table through the two tables for the pin. You know, got some uh, This Is Awesome chance, big ovation for both guys at the end. But uh, I would say, especially considering that it was pretty early on the card, it was... Uh, a lot of overkill, dangerous stuff, and, uh, I mean, you know, like, just, you know, this is pretty much also just personal preference. It's just not my kind yeah. of teeth. But, um, you know, so I don't want to take too much away from them. Like I said, uh, it definitely got over. And, um, but it did also take a very long time to clean up the ring because there were about 100 smashed tables. Mm. How's Brent Albright looking? I, I haven't seen him yet in, in Ring of Honor. Um, he's, you know, he's looking pretty good. I wouldn't say he's, you know, he's standout amazing. He hasn't been put in like any big long dramatic singles matches. I thought they I think they've used him very well as kind of the this hired gun. He squashes people, he's in a lot of multi person matches and he was just in this one gimmick match. You know, and he, he pretty much just relies on his big spots and he's you know, he definitely has a look that I would say nobody else in Ring of Honor has, you know, that you know, pretty much that WWE, you know, big muscular look. Sure. And he's the, you know, he's one of the tallest guys in the company. So, um so I think you know he definitely has his place there, and he's uh, he's he's doing pretty well. All right, and in the main event, Homicide beat Jimmy Rave to retain the ROH title. How'd that go? Uh, well, I felt pretty bad for these guys uh, having to follow um, Joe versus Morishima, which was a uh, you know just a, sure. a great great match. But um, but um, I would say you know they did pretty well for considering the circumstances. I read some stuff on the internet with people saying that the crowd was kind of down for this match, and I was pretty surprised. Like they weren't. They they weren't hot for it, but I've been you know to some uh, world title matches where the crowd wasn't up for it. Most notably the uh, the last show in New Jersey in January with the Homicide versus Samoa Joe match. The crowd was pretty uh, off mm. for that one. But this match you know had pretty you know pretty good heat. You know the crowd was into Homicide. They you know this was a very different from a Danielson title match in that they just went right at it. And you know, Homicide's title match the next night was the same way, so which is a good change of pace. They. Yeah, they they just immediately started brawling, you know, on in the aisle way, and uh, you know they just they hit all their big spots. I would say the match was definitely, or maybe not definitely, but I would have I would guess that, that it was less than twenty minutes. Um, mm. The big, uh, you know, uh, early on when Rave got his uh, his heel hook on, nobody really bought it. But then, um, you know, after a few more near falls, as it got later and later into the match, um, you know, the, the next time he got it on, people were chanting, "Please don't tap," and you know, um, so that so it eventually got over. The big near fall was uh, Rave doing a, a rave clash from the second rope. Even though I thought he was supposedly not allowed to do that move anymore, 
because he lost the match to AJ Styles last year. That's right. But, um, but hmm. you know, I guess, yeah. He's a scoundrel. <laughs> yep, uh, he should be suspended, fined, <laughs> and arrested. But, um, but Homicide kicked out, so luckily we won't have to overturn that decision. And uh, he won with a pretty sick cop killer on Rave, very high-angle cop killer, but... Uh, you know, all is well. It's a, a good, solid main event. You know, fun way to end the show. Nothing special. But, uh, you know, good stuff. All right. Anything else of major note from uh, from night one in Manhattan? Uh, let's say the other, the one other thing was, um, a, um, well, first of all, the Briscoes against uh, Nigel and Cole Cabana was a really good, fun tag team match. The, the Briscoes had a really good weekend. You know, again, like, they didn't go all out to have, like, the match of the night, but it was just a, you know, very fast, you know, it's, I'd say it was like a sprint of a tag team match. They pretty much they just went from one big spot to another. And, you know, a lot of personality on all four of those guys, obviously. And the crowd was up for it. And I thought I think that's a really good match that when the DVD comes out, everyone should check out. Um, and the other uh, early highlight was um, the uh, the four-way elimination match between uh, Jack Evans, uh, um uh, Shingo, uh, Jimmy Jacobs, and uh, the surprise return because of Davey, uh, Davey Richards' injury, uh, Xavier. Hmm. And uh, I was, you know, this match uh, got over really well. They just another boom, boom, boom kind of match with just one big spot after another. Xavier was only in for about four or five minutes, but he looked really good. I mean, granted, he was just um, you know hitting all of his big spots and taking big spots from the other guys. You think he took? I think he took everyone's finisher. For the you know to be eliminated first, but you know just doing his stuff, he definitely looked you know pretty good. And I've heard that they might be interested in bringing him back more often, which I wouldn't. I mean, I don't know. I I think it might be worth a shot because. But yeah, that match is really good. Shingo and Jack Evans were hugely over. Um, as I could already tell Jack was seen as more of a star after um, being featured on WSX a mm. little bit. But um, but yeah, so but yeah, very very good show. Um, I'd say maybe probably the worst of the, uh, the the three Manhattan Center shows, but then I thought that the first two were like the two best shows in ROH history, so that's not really saying much. It's still a great show. And I would say to anybody in, who has a chance, uh, try to see a live ROH show in, uh, at, the, at the Manhattan Center because I think that that's the most consistently great atmosphere of uh, any pro wrestling in, uh, in the United States right now. Hmm. I mean, I, I can't... I mean, if anybody else has a... Uh, you know, has another... A, um, Another theory on what the competition could be, I'd like to hear because I just, I'm, you know, maybe I'm just ignorant about it. But you know, that place just is amazing uh, every time I go there. Hmm. All right, on tonight too. Last Saturday in Philadelphia, the big story here was Morishima ending Homicide's title reign. Were you surprised by the result, and uh, how was that match? Uh, this was this. Honestly, I wasn't surprised by that result. I expected it going in. Um, you know, um, I, I couldn't tell if the rest of the crowd was surprised. It seemed like the way the match was uh, was built up with because um, they did a few spots early on where um, uh, Smokes and Homicide double teamed Morishima mm-hmm. and he kind of um, you know bro- you know uh, foiled their attempts and like they they once set up a double clothesline spot and he and he broke through and then hit a and then hit a clothesline on both of them and I thought the crowd was getting really into Morishima so I thought the way the match was booked made it pretty apparent that Morishima was uh, going over but yeah this was another um, this was another uh, Homicide title match where they just went right to it. You know, Morishima attacked Homicide before the bell rang. Um, you know, they brawled all over the place. I, wouldn't, I don't want to say it was a squash, but uh, it was definitely one-sided towards uh, towards Morishima. You know, Homicide got some big spots in. He did his uh, 
Tissuo, and he did um, he did a superplex off the top rope. But generally, it was more Shima kind of uh, dominating. And um, I thought, you know, it seemed to me, you know, I heard somebody else on the internet say that that uh, it was a very pro-homicide crowd, but I thought it, the crowd was totally into Morishima. I heard far more Morishima chants than I did homicide chants. And um, the pop when he won, after a, a couple of uh, backdrop uh, you know, drivers, homicide kicked out of one, and then uh, he struggled, but he, uh, Morishima hit another one for the pin. And I thought the crowd popped huge for it. And then kind of, um, well, after after that, after he won with the big pop, he was holding the belt within the ring. And some of the ROH students came out to celebrate with him, and a bunch of people lined the aisleway, looking kind of befuddled. Uh, Christopher Daniels, Nigel McGuinness, uh, even Gabe came out to stand on the entranceway. And um, Morishima attacked the students, and that's, you know, I guess, you know, kind of officially turning heel almost. And that's when the crowd kind of got quiet and got kind of confused. Mm. And then Whitmer came out, and uh, Morishima attacked him. Of course, Whitmer is going to be uh, Morishima's first challenger this Friday in Dayton. And, um, you know, at that point, you know, things kind of got interesting. And Morishima just stormed off to the back, past everyone. And the crowd gave Homicide a big uh, ovation and the thank you chant and all that. But um, overall, the match was, you know, a pretty exciting match. It was, you know, different than your usual world title match. But I would say it was a, I'd say it was a relatively great match. You know, not like a match of the year or anything. But, you know, very good. Um, and, you know, pretty exciting moment. You know, just good stuff. Sure. My thoughts on Homicide is that he made a lot better challenger than champion, especially when he, you had such a good storyline of him chasing the belt through the latter half of last year that when he won it, it was sort of a, okay, what now? I mean, his title defenses seem to be good, but a step below Brian Danielson's admittedly high standards. And I want to say he's like Ronnie Garvin, where people were like, well, when he was a champ, they were like, ugh. But it just seemed like he wasn't in for a long-term reign. Yeah, I would say almost everyone from the second that Homicide won the title, everyone was, was talking about, you know, when he's going to lose it. You know, I don't think anyone expected him to hold it for more than, like, three or four months. Mm. I don't know if anybody expected him to lose it this quickly until the uh, Morishima match was announced. But, um, but yeah, that, that, that title win was sort of like, I'd almost liken it to Chris Benoit's title win at WrestleMania 20 in that it was just, like, the big, epic, feel-good moment, but it wasn't actually meant to make Homicide the guy. Mm. And, um, you know, you know, I don't know, I think maybe his title reign could have had more potential uh, than, you know, some people think. You know, if you really look back at uh, Brian Danielson's first couple of title defenses, you know, his matches didn't really have the most heat either, and he hadn't really found his, you know, championship character yet. So you never know, because, you know, he didn't really have the chance to develop into a reign. But, you know, definitely the matches, you know, you know he, he definitely wasn't as over as the champion as he, as he was as the challenger. And I think that the... Uh, you know, there are pluses and minuses for Morishima winning the title, obviously. But I think the time is right to actually just really shake things up a bit because, you know, things, you know, seem to be kind of stagnant for a little while in Ring of Honor. And uh, I think it was a, a good move. Do you think uh, Homicide's going to get phased out or maybe gone completely from ROH due to his TNA commitments? <sighs> Tough to say. I mean, the, the only thing that would make me think yes is I can't really think of what they would do with him now. Mm. Like, he's pretty much exhausted every possibility. I guess they can, you know, I mean, he could always do some sort of blood feud with somebody, you know, if they bring in somebody new or just, you know, someone he hasn't gone with yet. But I don't really know who that could be. I think maybe they could try to get, you know, I don't know how often Morishima's going to be uh, wrestling in the States for ROH, but um, maybe try to get one rematch out of it. 
but I think that maybe he'd probably, at least for a little while, get booked kind of like Joe was last year and that he was, you know, kind of a major face on the show but still not really a major part of the show at the same time. And, you know, eventually kind of more, kind of slowly get phased out as opposed to Joe who's just, you know, they just abruptly announced he's leaving. Mm. Now, as to Morshima as champ, I mean, the, the, you have positives in that uh, the, the title is being defended in Budokan on March 4th. That's great. They have a good base when they go to Japan. They have Morshima can headline there. But you're not going to have a champ that's around all the time, and he's not going to be there for WrestleMania weekend. It doesn't look like he's going to be there for the England shows, and that's that's kind of a big hit, especially when you don't have the pure title around anymore. Do you have that singles title to be defended unless you count the FIP title? Well, um, you're right. I agree with you. But um, my theory is that if Morishima's, you know, not going to be around much at all over the next few months, I think what they might do is the Briscoes might win the tag belts on Saturday, mm-hmm. and then they might really try to build the uh, not you know the shows so that the champion isn't on around them. I mean, I'd, I'd heard for a, you know for a few months now that the Briscoes were planning on get you know becoming the um, even bigger part of ROH in 2007. And I think maybe this is the time. Like, it's gonna definitely going to take some re-educating, and I think the uh, the UK shows and the WrestleMania shows will maybe suffer in, in terms of interest. But I think if they can re-educate the people into thinking that the tag team titles can be the major focal point of the company, um, I think, you know, that would almost be a, a boon to the company. And the Briscoes have been, you know, pretty much on fire lately. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I don't know who they would who they would feud with, but you know they got we got a couple of new uh, factions coming in, mm-hmm. and um, you know uh, their match with uh, Kevin Steen and El Generico, which I guess I'll talk about now. Sure. Which that that was the uh, that was pretty much the show stealing match on uh, on Saturday. That was you know it was your typical um, indie style match where they kind of you know start start out you know with the chain wrestling kind of build and build and build to the huge climax with all the you know one big spot after another and they do all the four guys getting knocked out for the huge ovation mm-hmm. and it just escalated so well i'd say that as far as those indie big moves tag matches go that's as good of one as i've ever seen and um el generico and kevin steen really you know i mean if they don't get a a, a roster spot out of that match then they're not going to get one because they just they got a huge ovation, you know, Mr. Wrestling Chance, please come back, Chance. And actually, that was a nice moment for them, too, because I was in Philadelphia in uh, July of 2005 when they had um, an opening match uh, against each other on one show that was, that, you know, they bought, they bought so much stuff that the match was completely edited off the DVD. Ouch. And neither guy was, was booked in ROH for, you know, Generico for a year, you know, a year and a half after that, seen for even longer. And, um... So this was kind of like the full circle redemption for those guys, hmm. and you know that's that's you know that rivals the Joe versus Morishima match in some ways as the match of the weekend. But uh, back to the Briscoes, you know, they um, you know they could have a you know maybe a feud with those two guys or you know I don't know what, I don't know what, but I um, I could definitely see them trying to build around the Briscoes for a little while during the shows that Morishima isn't there and kind of make that the uh, the world title for a little while. And the other option is, um, you know, Roderick Strong has the FIP champion. And, you know, Gabe, you know, no matter what, he's always going to try to find new ways to push FIP. Mm. And, um, you know, as, if Roderick's the new top heel, or at least the leader of the top heel faction, then he might get a shot at main eventing some shows with that belt. Um, so, you know, it, it's definitely going to be a struggle. I'm not trying to, you know, deny that. You know, there's, um, 
there's definitely big minuses to not having the champion around all the time. Mm-hmm. But if they can make these other options work, then um, then I think it might be worth it. All right, back to a uh, Steen and Generico. I'm uh, I always thought Generico kind of got the shaft. I've seen him live in three different feds, and he brought the goods every time. Steen, I, I can kind of take or leave, but I'm I really hope Generico comes back uh, full time. Yeah, I think this is what the third time in the past few months that he's been booked. All shows on the East Coast, and you know he's gotten over you know to different degrees every time. Um, yeah, he was just awesome in that match. I would say that he was, you know, if I had to choose between him and Steen in that match, they were both really great, honestly. Steen was really good on, you know, on Saturday. But Generico, I'd say, was the, was the star for that team. You know, I just love that spot that he does where he's on the, on the floor on one side and then he jumps over the, over the bottom rope, um, from one side of the ring to the adjacent side to hit a tornado DDT. Mm-hmm. I just think that's one of the coolest spots in wrestling. Mm-hmm. And he just, he hit that at the most perfect time. Like there was like, um, Steen got a hot tag and um, kind of went off on the Briscoes, did a um, like a, a somersault dive onto the Briscoes on the floor. And there was a big Mr. Wrestling chant. And then like right as that, everything was starting to die down. He, uh, he jumps over and hits, I think Jay with that tornado DDT. And just the, the place went insane, you know. Ole ole chance. You know, he was just great, and he just he's always he hit that that kick in the corner, perfect timing. Mm-hmm. That match just they they just timed everything perfectly. That was a really impressive thing, and uh, you know I was, that was really nice to see. And you know I I'd be shocked if at least Generico and probably Steen too, but definitely Generico if he doesn't get booked a lot more now. All right. Why don't you fill us in on what happened with the um, the No Remorse Corps and uh, Austin Aries and Jack Evans in Philly? All right. Well, um, after uh, Aries's match, he uh, beat Claudio Castagnoli in a good match, despite kind of working on a uh, on one leg almost. Um, uh, um, uh, Strong and uh, and Richard came out, kind of uh, you know um, taunted Aries a little bit, and uh, actually Aries actually called him out. And, uh, and Strong said that he had a big FIP title defense, so he wouldn't go in there and fight Aries. And then Evans came out again and basically um, tried to break the two up. Um, Strong and Richards both told Evans that um, you were, he was either with them or he was against them, so he had to make his decision. And then Aries kind of reiterated that he should make his decision. And it was funny because uh, Evans did kind of this little, like, pouting little kid thing. like, oh, come on, that's my boy, Austin. Don't make me choose. And the whole crowd kind of went, aww. <laughs> so that was a funny moment. But they kind of, um, you know, so Evan said that he would get back to him later on after the tag title match, um, which was uh, Evans and Shingo against um, Daniels and Seidel. Um, after that match, uh, Daniels and Seidel retained again. And um, um, Aries came back out and kind of uh, asked... Um, asked Evans, you know, if he'd made his decision, and Evans said he still hadn't. And Aries said that he was going to start his own group of guys and, um, and to challenge Strongs, and then, and then Evans was like, well, I don't want to choose between you two, but if you guys are going to, um, if you're going to start a group and Strongs going to start a group, maybe I'll have to start a group of my own. So I guess it's going to be a kind of a three-way faction war, which is uh, a really neat idea, depending on, uh, you know, who fills out those factions. Hmm. But um, you know, already there are a lot of theories online about who's going to be in whose group. But I, you know, I definitely think that's a that's a good that's a good booking move, and it got it got over pretty well. Yeah, that pretty much uh, mirrors what happens in or the the Dragon Gate situation, where pretty much everyone's in a faction of some form or another. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know, but I mean, um, I don't know if uh, 
Jack and, and Roderick can really carry the mic work for their team. You'd imagine they would be the mouthpieces for their respective rosters. But, I mean, there are benefits here that whoever you put in here will get a bit of a rub. You could put someone new in, align them with Roderick, and it's like, okay, and kind of hopefully bring them up to Roderick's level. Right. Um, I'm I'm trying to think, like, of what, you know, like, who could be in Roderick's group. I mean, Evans's group, you can, you know, you can make the case, you know, for Shingo, since, you know, he's been paired with him. Sure. You know, maybe, maybe even some WSX guys, if they, you know, I don't know how other human tornado would fit in in Ring of Honor, but I think that would be, I think that would be a good choice. Or like um, a, a Matt Cross or something, who's been. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. He, uh, yeah he, he's another guy who's been suggested since he's already being booked by them. Hmm. But, yeah, those guys. Um, as far as um, Strong's group, I don't know, like, if they might use a manager. I mean, they have Sweeney in the company, but I don't know if he fits in with those guys. Mm. And if, if that was the case, then Hero would be part of the group, and, I, you know, that would be a little bit weird. But, you know, I guess they could do that. But, um, yeah, neither uh, neither Richards nor Strong really uh, light the world on fire on the mic. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Do you, can you think of any ideas as to who might be part of the uh, Strong group? Um, I don't know. I'll have to I'll have to mull that over and see who maybe an Albright they could uh kind of fits in that that tough guy mold. Yeah, I guess. Although they've been doing kind of the angle where he's kind of the hired gun and um, yeah. you know his own man, but yeah, that could work. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you could do here. Depending, you could have three, four man teams, and could be uh you know it really sets the stage for the rest of 2007. Yeah, that I think that that's going to be a really fun angle to watch. Well, we had Samoa Joe's last night in Philly. He beat Jimmy Rave. I imagine the crowd was uh, quite into him. Yeah, they were into him, although the match itself, like, I wouldn't say it had a ton of heat. They were into all of Joe's big spots, and they, you know, it's kind of like Joe just having fun out there. It wasn't like the intense match from the night before. Yeah. But, you know, it was, it was a good, solid little display for Joe. Nobody really bought anything that Rave did against him. You know, that, that was, I think, the one match where I don't think anybody thought that... Um, the guy facing Joe would have any chance of winning. Yeah. Uh, but um but you know Joe uh you know Joe's having fun with the whole last night in Philly thing. He came out to uh, his original music in ROH uh, which I think was called Another Body Murdered. Yep. I think yeah, I think that's it. So he you know, came out to that so that got a big pop. He used the Island Driver as the finisher so that got a big pop. Then uh, you know after the match that's when like the big thank you Joe can't chance kicked in again and he did a, a big speech about you know wrestling in Philly and how that was the birthplace of hardcore wrestling, but not the style of hardcore wrestling, but rather the hardcore wrestling fans who uh, tell the companies to, uh, you know, tell the companies who didn't give them what they wanted to screw off and to actually really, you know, demand the best from their wrestlers. You know, just really, you know, put over Philadelphia, sucked up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, got over really well. You know, Joe, you know, you know, I don't know, you know, if Joe was speaking from the heart or what, but both nights it definitely seemed like he was, and that's the important thing. And, you know, they were two really good promos. And, um yeah, it's going to be a. You know, he, he definitely seemed uh, genuinely sad about leaving. Mm. He definitely seemed genuinely to enjoy being there because I guess he doesn't really get that atmosphere in TNA these days. Mm. And um, but yeah, you know, definitely you know sad to, to see him go. Do you think they're going to try to do uh, more Sheeman Joe sometime this year if they can get Joe back for a one shot and get the okay for him to do the uh, Jobski to uh, more Shima? Uh, if they got the okay. Um, I don't see why they wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I think Joe, like, for this stipulation to mean anything, is going to have to be gone for at least a good five or six months. Yeah. Or else, you know, people kind of feel snowed by the whole uh, mm. farewell tour. But, um, you know, the thing I was hoping for, and I guess it's not possible because of TNA, is that they do the rematch in uh, in Japan mm. and uh, and uh, Morishima beats them there. 
But um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I don't see any good reason why they wouldn't do that match. It would definitely draw, you know, the first match, especially when it comes out on DVD. You know, a lot of people are going to want to see a rematch, just like a lot of people want to see Joe versus Kobashi again. Um, you know, I don't know if I if I see that actually happening, especially if Joe's going to be the NWA champion. I don't know how long that he's going to uh, he's played to hold that belt, or yeah. if they've even thought that far in advance. Which I'm thinking that they have thought that far in advance, but it will change several times by the time Joe wins the belt. And um, so I would say I would guess. That match will not happen again in 2007 in Ring of Honor, but, you know, I could see it going either way. All right, and last thing of note, we had an FIP title match, Roderick Strong and Delirious, where I guess Delirious got knocked even loopier. Do people care about the FIP title at all in, in Ring of Honor? It's hard to say. I mean, people were really into Delirious all the time. So, you know, he got a really good reaction coming out. You know, definitely a better-than-usual reaction for a match that comes on right after intermission. Mm-hmm. But you know, it like the match didn't really have enough time to really get going to the point where you know, I could really tell if people cared about who won or who lost the FIP title, um, because um, very early in the match, Delirious was standing on the top rope, and uh, Strong came over to him and yanked his leg like upward, and Delirious like just flew high in the air, took a huge back flat back bump, and uh, you know Strong covered him, and the ref counted two, but you could tell that Delirious didn't actually get his shoulder up. Oops. And they kind of were, like, slapping his face, trying to see what was going on. And then Strong rolled him out of the, the ring. And, um, you, know, you know, at that point, at this point, I definitely thought he was hurt. But then he got back in the ring. So he, so then at that point, people weren't really sure what was up. And Strong put him in a hold. Strong actually, at one point, hit a, a tiger driver on him for, a, for a, I guess, like a two-count or even a one-and-a-half count, which is another sign that he Lears was probably out of it. Mm. But um, And then Strong threw him back on the floor. And um, threw into the guardrail a couple times, and actually uh, tipped over the guardrail and powerbombed him onto that for the countout. And just like you know, after all that happened, like still a lot of people weren't really sure whether or not Delirious was actually hurt because you know since he, you know if he has a really bad concussion to the point where he wasn't moving at one point, I think that that seems horribly insensitive and dangerous to actually be powerbombing him and stuff like that. So I don't know what they were thinking, but. Um, after the count out, um, um, people kind of uh, you know, came out and helped Delirious to the back. And Storm actually, I'm strong, excuse me, actually came back out and uh, knocked Delirious over again, and he was chased away by Ares. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that I, that was, I'm assuming that would, be, would have been a really good match, and the crowd was starting to get into it, you know, even at the beginning. And, you know, you know, hopefully Delirious is okay, because you don't want to mess around with, uh, with concussions, especially one that's seen that serious. Yeah, Kristen Winsky would not approve. No, yes, that's a pretty topical uh, point of discussion. <laughs> yes. Uh, anything else from night two of note? Um, no, just the tag title match was a was a good match, but um, there was one big spot that they blew down the stretch where um, um, kind of Shingo was sitting on the top rope and um, and uh, uh, Daniels was standing in front of him and. Evans took a running uh, a run at uh, Daniels, and Daniels kind of pushed Evans up. I think Evans was supposed to kind of land on Shingo's shoulders and do a Rana and knocking him into Daniels, but he uh, he didn't hit the shoulders. So then they kind of both fell off the rope, got back on, and then Evans tried to hit the Rana anyway, and that didn't really work out. And uh, Shingo took a really awkward bump, so that kind of lost the crowd a little bit. 
But other than that, that was a pretty fun match. They had a little dance off at the beginning with uh, uh, Daniels doing the robot dance. Oh, and also, um, the opener was uh, was uh, Nigel McGuinness uh, against TJ Perkins, which in a match that I think they said was going to be on ROHvideos.com. Not positive, though. Oh. And that was, like, for for one of those little ROH video squash matches, that was great. Like, the crowd was going so nuts for everything Nigel did. You know, he gave, he gave uh, Perkins enough offense to where it was, you know, uh, uh, entertaining, you know, match, um, not just a total squash. You know, and I, I want to make this point because I kind of was, um, you know, I kind of said it the last time I was on talking about Nigel's match with Jimmy Ray of the final battle, mm-hmm. but I don't think I really made my point well. Like, the, all the lariats that he does at the end of the match... Um, you know, it's like it wasn't. It's not so much that I think that he needs to, you know, vary his offense. Like his abilities are all great, but it's almost like every single match he has, he just crushes people with a thousand lariats, and they all seem like the finish. And but you know, guys kick out over and over again every single time. Yeah. And you know, it. I know it's almost like overkill and false finishes to the point where I think it it starts to hurt the lariat because then he eventually just wins with another lariat. So I don't know what the solution would be. I don't know if he should actually start making like the the match the Larry to don't end the match look a little weaker mm. or what. But you know when he's wrestling, you know T.J. Perkins and he's kicking out of all these devastating lariats, and then he had another excuse me he had another match with Jimmy Jacobs where the same thing happened, and it just happens in every single match. I kind of um, you know I kind of wonder if he maybe he should rethink his strategy. But I don't know they're, they're you know definitely throws one of the best lariats going right now. Yes, he does. All right, so two. Big thumbs up shows. Pick them up when they come out on DVD. Yes, I would. Uh, I would say so. Big thumbs up shows, and uh, you know, very interesting uh, where ROH is going these days. That's right. The fifth year festival continues this Friday in Dayton. We have uh, Morshima defending against BJ Whitmer. Lots of luck to you, BJ. And uh, next night in Chicago, there is Joe and Homicide against Morshima and Nigel, along with a lot of other interesting stuff. And then the two shows in England. To wrap that out, including uh, Joe versus Nigel, and then Joe's final match in ROH against uh, an unknown opponent at this point. Yep, uh, three uh, three pretty uh, pretty loaded, or four rather, pretty loaded shows. Uh, Dayton show looks by far to be the best show they've gotten in that city in God probably a couple of years. Mm. But um, but yeah, I'm definitely interested to uh, see what happens there. Um, do you have any ideas on who uh, Joe's final opponent's going to be? Not sure at this point. Kind of odd they haven't announced it. I don't know who. I would imagine Nigel's going to get a big win against Joe in. Uh, yeah. Unless yeah, unless would... they have Joe beat him uh, night one and then night two they do a rematch. I guess I guess that's the that's one option. I kind of think it would be better for uh, Nigel to get the big win on uh, on Saturday just in the in, you know, their first matchup because he's lost to Joe a lot of times. Mm. I guess he's beaten him a couple times too in pure title matches, but uh, the, the most recent match he lost. Yeah. And then maybe, uh, and then maybe have Joe win his last match. Hmm. The, but um, you know, I, I mean, I guess the ideals are are people who just aren't feasible, like uh, you know, CM Punk, obviously. Oh yeah, I don't think that's gonna happen. <laughs> not realistic. Um, Kenny Kobashi also not realistic. Um, I guess the most realistic of the three really unrealistic choices is uh, low key, because you know I guess they could probably have him for the right price, but they seem dead set against doing business with him. Yeah. But you know that would be a good full circle thing, especially and it would be a really goodwill built up in the in the UK to have him show up there as a surprise and oh. have uh, Joe's last match be against him. I guess the uh, the other option um, would be homicide. 
even though they already did a match, but I, I'd imagine that with Joe's last match and it being in front of a better crowd, that it would be a much better match. And that's definitely one of Joe's uh, legendary uh, ROH opponents. So, um, and those would be the you know those would be the guys I would think of. I guess Nigel Homicide and then Dark 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 Horse uh, Loki. Mm. You can fight Gabe. Yeah. <laughs> Gabe can go over. All right. Do we have any more ROH talk to discuss? Have you picked up uh, Final Battle on uh, DVD? Yes. And How... I would say, um, well, I would say um, most of the shows after Glory by Honor weekend, mm-hmm. like in October and November, not really must-see shows. There's some good stuff on there, but nothing special. But I'd say the two shows from the end of 2006 that you should pick up are the Chicago Spectacular Night 2, which has a great little four-way elimination match, better than any uh, Survivor Series match since... Uh, at least 2003, probably maybe longer. Um, and then Final Battle, which I covered last time I was on the show, and it really holds up on DVD. That's, I maintain that's one of the two or three best ROH shows ever. Uh, uh, the, the Kings of Wrestling versus Briscoe's tag matches is off the charts. Um, the, the heat is, is great. The, the Dragon Gate match is great. The main event is really epic and dramatic. Um, there's a great little video wrapping up the whole homicide uh, road to the title, this title win after the uh, after the show. Definitely uh, a must-buy show for an ROH fan. All right, that sounds good, and that is as good a place to wrap up as any. I want to thank you for, uh, again, pinch-hitting on short notice. You'll be on in a few weeks for our secret project. I don't know if you have anything you want to plug, but... Um, I will plug... Uh... No, actually, I was going to make a bad joke, but never mind. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, I will do some plugging. I will plug JoeVersusWorld.com and TheCubsFan.com for a full archive of shows, including all of Matt's prior appearances, almost an audio history of a Ring of Honor of sorts. We've covered, <laughs> we've covered in periodically all the, the big shows for the past almost year. Very highly recommended. Um, what else did I have? Oh, I want to thank everyone on the, uh, the Death Valley Driver board. There was a board on everyone's favorite wrestling radio. I didn't know if my name would get mentioned, but to my surprise, like three or four people, like, plugged this show and said, oh, yeah, I, I stick that out from the few things I listen to, which warms my heart and, and, and does me good. So I thank all of you. Anyone who listens is uh, a friend. Yes, I saw that, and uh, the show, uh, you know, and I'm not, not my episodes, but all the other ones are, are greatly worthy of all the praise. Oh, so, uh, good oh all, all your shows are, are fabulous, especially, especially the last one with Rob Naylor, if you want another one to jump on. That was a great episode, because I make, I make very minimal appearance in that episode. <laughs> Yes, I apologize for that. Also, I should mention that it feels really weird to follow uh, Mike Quackenbush as a guest on a show. Yeah. Well, someone <laughs> had to. Yep. And why not me? Why not, indeed. All right, that's going to do it for us. Uh, I'll be back uh, soon with a show. I haven't have to iron out the guests to uh, who we'll have, but we will be back. We have a big march planned. Uh, I encourage everyone to stick around. I thank you for listening, and I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.